Welcome to the Christ and Classics podcast where we discuss... Oh, wait a second. Is it, did it record? It's oh, recording. Wait, sorry. It is recording. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Christ and Classics podcast where we discuss the classics in light of the Christ. My name is Devin Wilkins and I'm joined here with Colton Moore. And today on the docket, we got Prince Caspian. Here we are, season two, episode, I don't know what... And boom, the second book released or published by Lewis in the Narnian Chronicles. Despite what modern publishers will tell you, don't believe it. Don't believe them. Our good old pal Dr. Ward said, "Don't do it." So we don't. We don't do that. We don't do the chronological order. Um. Let me uh, summarize it and then Colton, you kick us off, okay? Boom. So I wrote down a lot of notes and I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to try to very briefly summarize even my summary. So here we go. Uh, after about a year of being out of Narnia, after Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, the uh, four children, the Pevensies, they are... Um, they're on their way to school, and when they're at the train station, boom, they get uh, transported to this other world, and they don't know where they are. It's an overgrown place that's filled with um, ruins, and there's a beach and all kinds of stuff. Uh, it takes them a little while, but eventually they realize that they are in Narnia, but it's a lot later than what they like one year in on earth was uh, like a thousand some odd years in, in Narnia. And uh, they find their old castle. They retrieve their gifts, except Susan's horn, which has miss, been missing. And, and then um, dagger, by the way, they don't mention Lucy's dagger. Oh, they, you're right. Which Did is they odd. mention it at all? That's a side question that I have that we're not going to chase, but it's like, <laughs> why didn't Lucy get her dagger back? Lewis, like a sharp thinker, is that a, it's got to be purposeful. I don't know why, but hold on, Colton. Whatever we had planned, scrap it. We got to get to the bottom of this right now. <laughs> uh, so anyway, they they get their stuff, and then they spot two soldiers who are uh, who are about to drown this this dwarf they rescue the dwarf i believe it's susan that shoots these guys these soldiers and they hear his story basically he catches them up on a lot of the narnian history um between when they left and and their time there and uh what he does is he goes into the story of prince caspian whose uncle usurps the throne and who, uh, let's see, he, he kills, his uncle kills his dad, uh, Caspian's dad. And it turns out that he's about to kill Caspian as well, because um, the, the uncle, uh, Miraz, he, his wife is going to have a son. And that means he doesn't need his nephew anymore. Uh, his nephew's now a threat. And so uh, Caspian runs away 
at the urging of his tutor, who's also half dwarf. And um, uh, uh, Narnia at this point um, has made it seem like animals don't talk. There are no mythical creatures. There are no dwarfs. Um, and that's as Miraz wants it. But uh, Caspian has taken, he's kind of taken refuge amongst a ragtag group of genuine Narnian creatures. And they believe, most of them believe he is the heir apparent. And um, they eventually blow the horn, which Susan's horn, which they have, and it summons uh, the Pevensies. And the uh, the Pevensies come, but they, uh, you know, obviously, they're there, they're hearing the dwarf Trumpkin's tale, but they don't come to that exact spot where, where Caspian is. And uh, so the Caspian and the Pevensies, they're, they're trying to meet at uh, Aslan's how or, or the, um, the stone table, call it. Yeah. The stone table. And, uh, Caspian's being pursued by his uncle and an army. Mm -hmm. They are out to kill. And once, uh, once the Pevensies meet them at the, at the stone table, they kind of pick off some, some of the soldiers who are attacking them. And then Peter says, I'm going to challenge Miraz to man-to-man, one-on-one combat. Mm-hmm. And what ensues is that. Um, they fight, and it doesn't look great at first. It looks like Peter's up a creek. Um, but uh, Caspian, not Caspian, uh, Peter ends up uh, giving him a quite a blow. And then there's some traitors that actually kill Miraz while he's on the ground. Yeah. And then it's all out battle until Aslan shows up with the ladies, um, Susan and Lucy behind him. Just like the line of the witch. Yep. Just like Gandalf. Yeah, it is. At Helm's Deep, you know, in the the two towers, he just comes out of the blue with the the Riders of Rohan. It's just this glorious scene. Anyway, keep going. This This is Lewis, not not Tolkien. Yeah, well, also not only the ladies, but also the uh, the trees uh, of the oh, forest that is. Oh, and Isengard and Selenus. Yeah, um, and they they just yeah they they kind of force the army into a corner, and um, in the end, the army is told, "Look, you can either side with us, or you can be." Or you can return to your old home on Earth, um, some island or something or other. And some choose to go back to Earth through a portal that Aslan sets up, and others choose to stay and be loyal to Caspian. Um, and then the the Pevensies themselves also return, and it's there that we find out that Peter and Susan will not be able to return because they are getting too old for Narnia, which is interesting. Uh, but, but Lucy and Edmund presumably will have an opportunity to return. Uh, hmm. And one thing I didn't bring up is uh, Lucy has childlike faith throughout um, this, 
book uh, that uh, Edmund actually uh, kind of reciprocates and supports her, but it's it's Susan and, and Peter that are maybe slower to believe uh, her testimonies about Aslan before he shows up. Yeah. Um, and so maybe that has something to do with it as well there at the end. Oh, yeah. That's a great segue into the, into the, my, my chief thought about this book, so chief question. There's a whole host of things that we could talk about in this book. We could talk uh, um, about Peter and, um, his chivalric nature. Um, Lewis has got that, the, the essay that we're going to discuss here in a few weeks called the necessity of chivalry that plays really well into this book. Um, and, uh, we could talk about, um, what does it mean? What is Lewis communicating to us by, um, making it that you have to be a certain age to come to Narnia? What does it mean to grow old? Uh, but also what does it mean to be a child? Um, grownups mm -hmm. are referred to in a negative light throughout the book. And, um, that plays into the question. We could also even, we could also even talk about, um, uh, just this beautiful scene in chapter 11 where Lucy's in the forest and Lucy's like, Oh, Aslan, you've, you've grown. And mm -hmm. Aslan's like, you know, you've just gotten older. And mm -hmm. she's like, the older you get, the bigger I appear to you. And so in, in, uh, subsequent, uh, chronicles you'll you, you'll read that as the children get older aslan is massive and mm -hmm. i can't help but thinking like that's a it's a picture of of what what god is to the maturing believer the mm -hmm. the more mature the believer gets the bigger god seems yeah. to him. Right. but anyway the, the more you know him the deeper you can go and his depths are inexhaustible yeah yeah yeah. But my question deals with um skepticism and faith throughout the throughout the book. I think that's a, I think that's a central theme of it. And so I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to expose some layers that need to be explained before we can even answer it and then we'll tackle it. How's that sound? Okay. So, here's the question. What is CS Lewis communicating to his readers? by juxtaposing, pairing next to one another, the moral deficiencies of skepticism in at least Miraz, uh, Trumpkin, and Susan. We could even talk about Nicobrick the Dwarf. So both, all three of these characters throughout the novel um, clearly express some form of skepticism to either the, the old history fairy tales uh, the mm -hmm. old wives' tales of Narnia, because at this time, remember, as, as Devin said, like all, most of the animals are dumb, s speechless, normal animals, because the Telmarines, Miraz and his crew, has killed them all off, most of them. Right. Or they're skeptical, Susan, about um, Aslan's coming. She she rebukes Lucia a number of times for her. Um, for her faith in, in seeing Aslan or imagining Aslan. And even before she's real, Lewis goes out of his way, I think, to portray Susan in a pragmatic, grown-up, utilitarian, modern. And she, so... He, Lewis, Lewis actually uses the descriptor grown-up for yes. Susan often in the text. Yes, yes. Let me yeah. let me explain where I'm, where I'm getting some of this. So, like... Um, 
like starting with me, this all starts with Miraz. The whole book is predicated around this problem that Miraz uh, originates. Um, mm, he's the which, presenting um, conflict. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so from the very beginning, Miraz makes it clear to the, the boy Caspian that these old wives tales are for, are for boys and like uh, for babies and he needs to grow up and he needs to be thinking about adventures in, in battle. I'll return to that in just a second. But in chapter mm -hmm. 13, Miraz again is, um, he responds to his, his Lord Glazel, who has just told him, Hey, uh, King Edmund and the crew is, is out back. You want me to take a look? And, uh, he responds to Glazel and says, ha, King Edmund, ha, ha, does your Lordship believe those old wives tales, those old wise fables about Peter Edmund and the rest? And Glazel says, well, I believe my eyes. So there's a, there's a, there's a, a lack of faith there. We see a lack of faith in Trumpkin hmm. as well. In chapter five, Truffle uh, who recalls that Narnia isn't a country for men, quote, but it's a country for a man to be king of. We badgers have a long uh, enough memories to know that. Um, hmm. but wasn't High Peter a man? And then he, and then he says, and then Trumpet, Trumpkin the dwarf asks, do you believe those old stories? So Trumpkin's a good guy. You believe those old stories? So you've got... Um, Miraz and the crew over here not believing the story, the, the Narnian tales, and you got good guys mm -hmm. not believing the Narnian tales, and then Susan. Oh, this just this just breaks my heart because mm -hmm. we know at the very end in the last battle, Susan doesn't get to participate in the new heavens of Narnia and the new earth of Narnia, or at least not yet. Right, right. And so in chapter yeah. nine, Susan, Susan. Like, this is where I think it starts with Susan in chapter nine. Susan, like, they're, um, the, the, the children are with, with Trumpkin, and they're trying to figure out how to get to Aslan's house. And Susan cannot remember the directions to the stone table. Like, Lewis goes out of his way, and, and Peter is like, uh, or Edmund, one of the boys, is like, oh, a, a girl can't keep a map in her head. And it's like, huh, why didn't Susan remember her way around to, As to the stone table of all places? And yeah. also in that chapter... Lucy wonders how awful, this is a terrifying scene. Lucy wonders how awful it'll be uh, if in their world, men began to change like the animals of Narnia on the inside to be beastly, right. but on the outside, they, they didn't look differently so that you couldn't tell which from which. Now listen to this. This is what Susan responds. Quote. Which chapter is this? Chapter nine. Yeah. She says, quote, we've got enough to bother about here and now in Narnia said the practical Susan without imagining things like that. Lewis leaves the, Lewis leaves the conversation at that period with no mm -hmm. further comment. So Susan is a pragmatist who's mm -hmm. disregarding Lucy's profound imagination. Yeah. Also on chapter nine, Lu Susan is really worried about being lost in the woods with just this, it, Lewis presents her as like this uh, unreasonable kind of fear. Again in chapter nine, I'm harping on Susan because I think it's I think Susan's important. Again in chapter nine, Lucy sees Aslan in the woods, and Susan responds, "Quote: Where did you think you saw him? Uh, saw him?" And then Lucy responds, "Don't talk like a grown up. I didn't think I saw him. I saw him." The children mm -hmm. in Trumpkin doubt Lucy. Okay. Then the very yeah. next chapter, chapter 10, Lucy's just been commissioned by Aslan to wake the others and to follow him despite their responses. 
She goes to Peter, but no use. Goes to Edmund, no use. Go back to sleep, Lucy. And then she goes to Susan and wakes him up in chapter 10, who, quote, in her most, uh, most annoying and grown-up voice, tells Lucy she's been dreaming to go back to sleep. This is very yeah. interesting because back in chapter 4, Lewis uses the same language to describe Miraz's tone to the boy Caspian. Quote, mm -hmm. Oh, what did you wish for, boy? Asked the king. And then Caspian responds, I wish, I, I wish, I wish I could have lived in the old days. Up until now, King Miraz had been talking in the, this is Lewis commentating, up until now, King Miraz had been talking in the tiresome way that grown-ups have. Which makes it quite clear that they're not really interested in what you're saying. But now he suddenly gave Caspian a very sharp look. Mm -hmm. Caspian explains his wishes to Miraz, and Miraz responds, That's all nonsense. That's for babies, he said sternly. Fit only for babies, do you hear? You're getting too old for that stuff. At your age, you ought to be thinking of battles and adventures, not fairy tales. Oh, oh, the irony. Because what are they doing in the rest of the book? Battles and adventures in the fairy tale Narnia. Okay. Right. <laughs> last thing chapter 11 chapter yep. 11 uh, lucy the very next morning when when everybody else wakes up she tells yep. she tells them she's seen aslan if you don't believe me i'm gonna go with aslan that's what he's told me to do i can't yeah. see anything said peter uh can you susan said peter again and then susan responds here it is no of course i can't snapped susan because there isn't anything to see she's been dreaming Mm -hmm. And then Susan meets Aslan, and Aslan rebukes her. He says to her, quote, You have listened to fears, child. Come, mm -hmm. let me breathe on you and forget them. Are you brave again? A little, Aslan, said Susan. And so her disbelief is rooted, her skepticism mm -hmm. is rooted in fear. This is interesting because the Telmarines, Miraz's skepticism is rooted in fear of a different kind, mm -hmm. albeit. And so my question is, what is Lewis communicating to us by means of these characters' skepticism and portraying them in a negative light? Skepticism and faith here in Prince Caspian. What's he, what's he telling us, the reader? That's my thought. My question. Yeah. That, <clears throat> that is a good question. And I, I really enjoyed how you pieced it together there. That You did a lot of um, good homework. Uh, the, I'll, I'll take a, an initial stab, but you tell me where I go wrong. <laughs> uh, it does seem so hearkening back to our conversation with Dr. Ward there's childlikeness and childishness mm. and um, there is a certain like maturity about Lucy that that Susan doesn't have though Susan is older and so um, for all of her being described as grown up, she's uh, quite selfish and childish, but not. She lacks the maturity of childlikeness, if that makes mm. sense. Mm. Um, and and faith 
Faith doesn't go with childishness. It goes with childlikeness. Um, and uh, one reason I, I'm thinking this is um, especially selfish. Uh, I'm, I'm not exactly, I think it's in chapter 11 somewhere. You can probably find it for me. But um, later on, Susan finds Lucy and apologizes because she confesses that she yeah. believed deep down yeah. that Lucy was telling the truth about Aslan on both occasions. And yet she dismissed it because uh, she, uh, what was her rationale? She just, she wasn't interested in being, you know, made uncomfortable or something to that effect. Uh, it, maybe it was more than that. You know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. You said look for that. You said look for that, and I'm looking for it. What, what were you saying again? It's a podcast. I'm supposed to be listening to you, and I'm not listening to you. No. Uh, when when she confesses that she believed deep down that Lucy mm -hmm. was telling the truth, but that she uh, she went against that belief. Um, and, and trying to make some kind of amends with, with Lucy. I was trying to remember the rationale that she gave there. Um, I think that's yeah. in chapter 11. Yeah. It sounds a bit like Edmund. It does. In, in the, the line of the witch, because Edmund mm -hmm. deep down, not just deep down, but like experientially, he, he knew Lucy was right. Didn't just but like, there was a, he, he had faith that Lucy was right. And he had the, the experiential knowledge that Lucy was right. And yet still suppressed it for the sake of his own pride. Mm -hmm. And, and I, yeah, that's right. That's right. I, it reminds me a little bit of, I mean, Piper gets a lot of this stuff from Lewis about, uh, uh, desire. Um, not, all of it by any stretch, but he, um, he seems to suggest that she, maybe she had greater desires that out kind of outdid her, her desires to, to believe. I, I found the passage. Um, read it to us. It's yeah. Okay. Lucy said, Susan in a very small voice. Yes. Said Lucy. I see him now. I'm sorry. Hmm. That's all right. But I've been far worse than you know. I really believed it was him. He, I mean, yesterday, when he warned us not to go down to the fir wood, and I really believed it was him tonight when you woke us up. I mean, deep down inside. Or I could have if I'd let myself. But I just wanted to get out of the woods and, and, oh, I don't know. And whatever am I to say to him? Perhaps you won't need to say much, suggested Lucy. Um, yeah, so right there, and, like, she mm -hmm. could have believed him if she let herself. So she didn't. Mm -hmm. She says she did, but she didn't. Yep. Because she qualifies it, I could have if I would have let myself. 
Yeah, and it does. You were saying Romans one. It it is a lot like that, right? They they um, can perceive God in creation, but they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So it's not that they're unaware, but there's a an unwillingness to to engage. So I've got another question that hopefully could help us re- get to the ultimate one, um, which is what's the difference between Susan's skepticism and the skepticism that Trumpkin, Miraz, and even Nicobrick uh, demonstrate? Yeah. Yeah. Um, would it be fair to say that um, Miraz never has never known um, faith at any point so far as we know um, and indulges you know his evil desires whereas and Trumpkin I mean Trumpkin is a kind of a mythical creature but he's he's also never encountered Aslan uh, Susan Susan knows better. She has yeah. en- she has encountered Aslan and she's she's less mature seemingly in this book than she was in the previous. I think that's the chief difference that uh, as you as you've just said she has seen and has tasted that yeah. uh, she, she has seen and tasted that Aslan is good. Miraz and Trumpkin have not. To them, it's just a distant past. They haven't yet encountered him yet. And no. it's interesting that you describe Miraz as not having encountered faith. Uh, I think that was your word. Encou- encountered faith? Is that what you said? I don't exactly remember, but he's never well, never embraced it. It's not a positive. So what? What? Ha- what? If he's not embracing that, what's what is he embracing? Yeah, good question. Um, it does seem like he's very interested in his own kingdom, his own power, his own mm. um, agenda, you know, rather than the kingdom of, of Aslan. I mean, the, as a Telmarine, um, he should have supported the king rather than kill him. You know, mm-hmm. he's very much akin to uh, the, the Caspian narrative is very similar to the Hamlet narrative, except whereas Caspian is believes in his youth, Hamlet uh, doubts um, mm, until, yeah. until the end. Um, yeah, and it's interesting that uh, uh, Miraz's counsel to the to the little boy Caspian was: you don't need to be thinking about these fairy tales. You need to be thinking of battles and adventures. It's like there's this. Uh, there's, it's like there's this bifurcation between mm-hmm. the imaginary and the the con what we consider what he considers concrete reality to uh and these two don't go together it's re- i mean th- this is classic this is the classic like modernist debate if we're going to translate it into our terms like 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 the the battle between science and the tangible quantifiable and faith and the imaginary unseen uh, Mm -hmm. one over the other one at the expense of the other and I think Lewis um, I think one 
perhaps one thing that Lewis is communicating to you and I by looking along this text is don't be like Miraz. Don't be like mm -hmm. Trumpkin at the beginning of the book. Like, like mm -hmm. believe in the fairy tale. Mm -hmm. Your world is more like a fairy tale than it is like um, dry history. Fauci's world. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like yeah. my kids come to me, and this is this is questionable in certain in some Christian circles. They come to me. It's like, Daddy, is magic real? And I say, Yeah. They say, mm -hmm. Daddy. They say, Daddy is. Um, like we'll read the Harry Potter series. Like, Daddy is. Um, is Harry Potter real? Like, is Hogwarts real? And I say, Well, in a sense, no. There is no Hogwarts in in the sense that you and I can actually go to it. It's in a different world, if you will, a different mm -hmm. imagination. Um, it, but but its creator is uh, uh, J.K. Rowling. She gives it life and breath, and that life and breath is static. It doesn't move. We can't do anything else with it. It's and it's not a it's not a living, breathing entity like our yeah. world is. But like some of the concepts behind these fairy tales are real. We, we just have biblical terminology for it, I think. Spiritual. Mm -hmm. God mm -hmm. is spiritual and does spiritual things throughout our world. The demons do spiritual harm around our world. That's magic. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. Science is, in my mind, magic. You mix water and flour and eggs and sugar and salt. <laughs> what happens? Oh, it metamorphoses. It, it, it changes. It transfigures. Like, oh, what? That's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's magic. It's, uh, God is doing something like that. And our world is more like Narnia than we often give it credit. We're, 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 we are the Mirazes and Trumpkins and sometimes even the the nasty Nickabricks in our own story. Mm -hmm. And I think Lewis is tapping into the heart of that, not just with this book, but with the entire Chronicles. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I really, really appreciate about Prince Caspian and another reason why I really also love the silver chair is because yes. they remind me that there's more to this world that I live in uh, than meets the eye. Um, the world would love for me to believe that animals don't talk. You know, there is no Aslan. There is no, um, you know, High King Peter and his siblings. Um, this, these are fables, you know. Uh, and same with with uh, Silverchair. You know, um, mm. there's there's no Aslan. There's 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 no there's nothing else to this world. And I think that's something that we can sneakily begin to believe passively, you know, um, when like, we, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, like, we, we don't really, like, we'll say there's more to this world, but what I've often experienced is that what we mean is yeah, well, yeah. When we die, when we die, there's more to this world. 
the spiritual life begins really like after you die. And that's when you're in heaven with all the spiritual things that are really different from what we know on this earth. Mm-hmm. And I think that's wrong. I think mm-hmm. Lewis also in screw tape, the screw tape letters is all about how we, I think as, as humans are duped in a foggy haze of misunderstanding or half understanding. We say mm-hmm. we're Christians and, but we have this hazy idea of really what that means. And that's where, that's where screw tape wants, 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 wants his patience to be right. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, what we do and like, our, our world is profoundly spiritual, magical, if you will, we're coming up on the mm-hmm. season of Lent where it's common practice in most Christian traditions to fast from food and water and various and alcohol and various degrees. Um, I don't include like fasting from social media, fasting from your phone. You can call me, you can call me pretentious for that, but I just don't like, it's just like not in the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But like biblical fasting is fasting from food, water, alcohol. Anyways. Um, but it's a time where you, you withhold from these sustaining aspects of life. Mm-hmm. And it has a profound spiritual impact on you. Like, mm-hmm. like, for example, you go to McDonald's every day and you eat three, you eat two to three cheeseburgers every day for a solid month. And then you come back and, and tell us how well your spiritual life is going. Probably not going to be going well because you, you're a spirit soul creature where I, I, I think what you intake with your body, what you do with your body really impacts your your soul. Mm-hmm. And a, a book like Prince Caspian and uh, especially Silver Chair taps deeply into that. The world isn't all that the, that the scientists and our bio, biology textbooks tell us it is. Right. Yeah. Kind of a convoluted way of explaining myself. Yeah, it's fascinating when I back up and think about all that Lewis has done, as you were mentioning. There, uh, faith and skepticism is a recurring central theme in the Space Trilogy, or sorry, Ransom Trilogy, Narnia, in Till We Have Faces, uh, certainly in his uh, nonfiction, um, even um, The Great Divorce. I mean, it's just, it's... It's a it's a big deal for him, uh, faith, and um, the lack thereof, you know. Uh, and I love that he's trying to get at it from every vantage point he possibly can. Uh, a lot of the themes that Lewis hits on, uh, you find them at every level of his literature. You know, he's just he's at it again and again and again. You know, whether it's cosmology or Mm. Uh, faith and reason or uh, yeah just a lot of it's apologetics you know and as we know he he kind of went from a more strict debate to um, uh, sneaking past the sneaking or sneaking past the I don't know something dragons (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't remember the exact quote, but you know, stealing past the the dragons uh, by means of imaginative literature in order to 
get those same things across. <clears throat> uh, and I think yeah. it's quite effective as, you know, we're here in Narnia with, you know, trying to rescue Prince Caspian and, and we're feeling a lot of this, um, the, the weight of Lewis's arguments from his other books. Uh, it's, it's powerful. Yeah. I, um, I keep thinking about, um, ah, yeah. So two thoughts going back like along these lines, like M Miraz's counsel to Caspian, the boy, the first counsel he gives to him in the book mm, is that yeah. you don't need to be messing with those baby fairy tales. You need to be thinking about adventures and fairy stories or, or, mm -hmm. or uh, uh, battles and adventures. And it's a similar, it's a similar, um, Council that I hear often here in in the South, in the, in the states, in, in the Bible Belt, which is um, there's particularly with with rural, hardworking country folk, the they don't have much use for imaginative fairy tales because they find it irrelevant. It's not what the world's like. It's really like for babies, and eh, we don't deal with that. We train our kids to do hard work. We don't. We don't give them swords and shields um, uh, to fight off dragons. We give them hunting hunting rifles and bow and arrows to shoot deer because that's what we're going to be doing in the real life. We're not going to be slaying any dragons. Why do we need a sword? You know. Yep. And the argument is ironic because if that's what you want for if that's what we want for our children, we find no better retellings of those kinds of um virtuous qualities than in fairy tales mm -hmm. so like so what i think i think so far my favorite quote of the chronicles this could change is from the voyage we'll get to it next week and i'll harp on it again but i'll bring it up today and it's at the very end where the the eustace and lucy are with aslan and uh aslan's like oh, sorry edmund and lucy and, and eustace are with aslan and it's a very, very last page. Are you there too, sir? Uh, said Edmund. Oh, wait, wait, wait. hold on. Uh, Aslan says, oh yeah, uh, Lucy says, it isn't Narnia, you know, sob Lucy. It's you. We shan't meet you there. And how can we live never meeting you? Because Aslan's just told them that they're not going back to Narnia. He's like, well, mm -hmm. well if we go back, we're never going to meet you again. And then Aslan says, but you shall meet me, dear one, said Aslan. Uh, are you there too, sir? said Edmund. Ah, uh, and here we go. I am, said Aslan. But there I have another I have another name. You must learn to know me by that name. This was the very reason why you were brought to Narnia. That by mm -hmm. knowing me here uh, for a little, you may know me better there. That's the oh whole purpose God. of fairy stories. Imaginate imaginative quote air quotes fictional literature that you yeah. would know christ a little bit or, and know what it means to be a human a little bit in a book like this so that when you come back to your real world get out of the book you can know him so much better and know what it mm. means so much better you've got you've got a whole other language by which to speak whenever you're talking about morality or disciplining your children or disciplining yourself preaching to yourself or preaching to to others and yeah. Miraz doesn't get it. Trumpkin doesn't get it in the very beginning, but he does after 
Susan is slowly, uh, breaks my heart, degenerating. And we'll see as, as the Chronicles ends. And the t some of the Telmarines get it at the end as they go back into the real world. And I, mean, the I do think that there may be, maybe um, Prince Caspian gives us hope for Susan. I mean, she shows up, I guess, in Horse and His Boy, but mm -hmm. this is kind of her last, you know, her last major appearance. And um, as such, I I wonder if we can have hope because in the end, there is some recognition, you know, of on, on, on her behalf, there's some recognition that she's done wrong by Lucy and Edmund and she's um, fearful of, hmm. of of how Aslan will treat her as a result and Lucy comforts her you know uh, basically saying Aslan is merciful you know and and I think that's exactly what Susan finds now of course you get to the last battle and uh, Susan's story is not yet finished um and so maybe maybe she always um will be on the outside but but i i i think that there is some reason for hope in her uh incomplete story given the um maybe reluctant but but also i think humbled state in this in this story because I don't think you could read Prince Caspian alone and go, Susan, what a degenerate. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you have to see her. Yeah. In the hole. Yeah. So the answer to our question, what is Lewis, what is Lewis communicating to us by putting these characters with their skepticism in, con mm -hmm. in conjunction, in juxtaposition? I think the answer that we've talked, talked about and tried to answer and tried to answer is, um, the answer that we've tried to communicate is that Lewis is t teaching us by means of these characters that our world is more magical and spiritual uh, than Miraz and Trumpkin and Susan think, and that mm -hmm. faith is invaluable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, sorry. I think I may have driven us off course a little bit from time to time. Um, off course of the question, but yeah, he 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 has set up uh, examples across the spectrum of those who seriously uh, have hardened their own hearts to those who maybe are somewhere along that that process, but are met. Uh, with Aslan and um, find him merciful, uh, yeah. which is really, uh, those are sweet moments. Uh, Nickabrick is about the height of the worst. I think Nickabrick is maybe, yeah, maybe worse than Miraz because mm -hmm. um, he's part of this world and he's wanting to instead, instead of Aslan, he, he decides he wants to rely on the White Witch, which is like awful. an anti-Christ I mean, kind of figure. 
Yeah. 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 So he really goes the other way. Yeah. Man. Um, whereas Lucy and Edmund retain that childlikeness. And, um, and I think Peter more has more strength, you know, it's, in, it's interesting in, in Narnia, the more childlike in, uh, you are and the more trusting of, in Aslan that you are, the stronger and more grown you become, you know, you can fight battles and you can, yep. you can lead an army. Um, and it's, a uh, yeah, it's, there's a different sort of adultish practical adultishness that um, initially characterizes Susan and certainly characterizes Mraz and right. uh, it, Trumpkin it, it, and Nickabrick. They're all like very pragmatic. Trumpkin's like, look, if this Asin guy's not going to show up, we got to do something, you know. Uh, let's let's find that, that lady who at least has been, you know, she, she was powerful enough to run things for, for like 100 years, you know. Um, and that sort of pragmatism is deadly in the end. Not just in the book, but in in our world as as well. Yeah. Uh, man, well, we could go on. Uh, Prince Caspian, second book. Next week, we've got a voyage coming up where we continue mm-hmm. with... Uh, with Lucy and Edmund, and they get to spend uh, a little bit of time with their with their nasty cousin, cousin Eustace. Well, all right, brother. Yeah, Sign out. Nice. Yeah. Really nice. <laughs>